The following audio is recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church, and it's part of our series called The Trinity in Advent. For previous messages or to find out more about Stone Oak Bible Church, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Well, good morning. It's great to have you all here on this this nice, beautiful day in San Antonio, Texas. We're a we're grateful to be able to gather together and to worship the Lord this morning. And today is a special day for our family. Uh, our oldest daughter, Karis, turns five today. And she is so excited. And we've got her special lunch lined up, bean and cheese tacos. And she is ready to rock. And we're going to play dress up. And she's got her little dress up doll where she's going to practice her makeup skills and her hair, which I, I like rather than trying that out on daddy, which is a good a good thing, but um, it's it's a it's an exciting day. And in preparing for her birthday, I've done a lot of thinking about um, Karis and what a what a wonderful little girl she is, and how I've just enjoyed her and watched her grow and watched her mature, and what a privilege it is for me to be her father. And I I started then reflecting back on the time that I first found out Ariel was pregnant, and without going into the full uh, detail of our story. Um, we really had a hard time conceiving, and it was it was painful. We when we got married, you know, part of what we really felt led to do was to have a, a large family, and so we kind of pretty close to after we got married started to try to have children, and we were unsuccessful after some time, and so we went to see a doctor, and they told us you'll never be able to have kids on your own. And I remember sitting there, and I was devastated, but I also the the phrase you know with. Some things are impossible, but with, with God, all things are possible. And so we just prayed and committed it to the Lord and, and praise God through, um, you know, technology and the help of doctors. We were able to, to have our child, and we would love to, love to talk about our story sometime and, and to share that because um, it's a, it really shaped who Ariel and, and I are um, as people and also in our marriage. Um, but it was, it was a struggle for us to be able to have children. And so you can imagine that when we found out that she was pregnant, we just rejoiced. And, and it was an unbelievable blessing for us when we just celebrated. And I remember when, when she called me, she was at work and, and went to the doctor, um, found out the results of the test, and then, um, and then called me and said, hey, I'm, I'm pregnant. And I remember just rejoicing and celebrating and screaming, I'm going to be a dad. And I like was, was going to people and I'm going to be a dad. I'm going to be a dad. And then after some time, I was like, oh, my goodness, I, I'm going to be a dad. Like, I'm going to be a dad. And the, the weight and the responsibility of what it means to be a daddy and to be a father started to set into me. And I started to feel the, 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 the weight of what it means to be a father. And at the time, I was a youth pastor and worked with youth and young adults and man, oh man, did I recognize in these kids and in these teenagers the importance of their relationship with their father. And you could even tell which kids uh, had a close relationship with their father and which fathers were absent just by the way these kids were behaving and by, um, by the, the way that they were crying out and reaching out for attention and that there's this special relationship that one has with their father. And in doing research about this, and there's, there's a lot of concrete evidence about the importance of one's relationship with their father. Children with absent fathers, so fathers that, that are either not present in their home or are considered to be emotionally distant and absent, are, have dramatically increased rates of depression and anxiety. There's five times the average suicide rate, 32 times the average rate of incarceration, 
decreased education levels, and increased dropout rates, consistently lower average income levels, lower job security, increased rates of divorce and relationship issues in their marriage, substantially increased rates of substance abuse, and increases in social and mental behaviors. And there's a sense of identity and security and stability that one has because of the relationship that they have with their father. And when that father is either distant or absent or not present in their lives, there is extreme ramifications and implications. And I had seen this in spades and with the teenagers that I was working with in either a positive or in a negative sense. And, and I just want to clarify today, in no way am I downplaying the role of a mother because I think we all know that the role of a mother is extremely important. And even watching Ariel with our little girls, I mean, the way she nurtures and, and loves on these little girls is, is just so amazing. And there is an importance in that relationship as well. And in no way am I downplaying that. But there is a unique relationship that we are designed to have with our fathers. And when that relationship is, is fractured or broken, it's very difficult. And there's a lot of implications for that. And today, we're going to talk about this idea of God being our father. And some of you in this room have loving, present fathers who were very generous to you and encouraging, and they were there for you, and they were available, and they were approachable. And so this idea of God as father isn't going to be something that's hard for you to grab onto. But others of you, You've struggled in your relationship with your dad, and maybe he wasn't present. Maybe he was absent in your home. Maybe he was controlling or manipulative. Or maybe uh, he didn't know how to engage you and connect with you. And so when we talk about God as Father, this is difficult. And the word Father elicits emotions in all of us, even in this room this morning, that are all over the map. And for me, I grew up with a, a wonderful father who always told me, how much he loved me and was, was there to affirm me. And he, I mean, he wasn't perfect, and I would admit he wasn't perfect, but he was present, he was approachable, approachable. He engaged me, and he let me know how much he loved me. But my dad didn't have that experience with his father. And my dad was the youngest of, of four children, and his father was an immigrant from Romania and um, came over and, and really was kind of struggled to, to find his niche. And, and my dad said, you know, by, by no means was he hostile um, or by, by no means was he a mean man. He just was very distant and didn't know how to engage his children. And he was kind of stuck in neutral. And there were 43 years of my dad's life where his father was alive. And they had one conversation together. And it was towards the end of my dad's life. And, and this is something my dad his whole life longed for. He desperately, so, so badly wanted to have this relationship with his father. But it just was not there. And this is very, very difficult for some people today. And this, there's a sensitivity that we have to have. And one of the biggest obstacles that my dad has had about um, coming to grips with who God is is accepting this idea as God, as God is father. And, you know, as I was reading and preparing for this message this morning, I wanted to read a, a quote um, that, that really uh, captures, captures this. And it's, it's by a man named Michael Reeves and delighting in the Trinity. And he says, our heart goes out to the children who had difficult relationships with their fathers. And those of us who are fathers ourselves know that we too are far from perfect. 
But God the Father is not called Father because he copies our earthly father. He's not some pumped-up version of your dad. And to transfer the failings of earthly fathers to him is quite simply a misstep. Instead, things are the other way around. It is that all human fathers are supposed to reflect him as father. Only where some do that well, others do a better job of reflecting the devil. And I want to make sure you hear me today, that there is sensitivity that's here. And that there is a difficulty for some to coming to, uh, to approach God as father or to embrace God as father because of the earthly father that they've had. But God, our Father, is our perfect heavenly Father. And no matter what kind of earthly father that you've had, they're never going to be able to match up to who he is. And so it's our prayer today that as we press into this idea of God being our Father, that we're able to accept him um, or allow him to um, accept us for who we are as he does and, and to delight in him and to have this relationship with him. You know, there's a lot of things in the Bible, a lot of words in the Bible Um, that provide descriptors of who God is and names of God um, that are given. And and sometimes um, names of people uh, are helpful and they provide description. Other times names are not helpful. For example, I have a dog and the dog's name is Riley. So right now, what do you know about the dog? That the dog's name is Riley. That's it. Some of you may think, well, Riley is a boy. And others of you might correctly assume that Riley is a girl. The name Riley gives you no indication of, <clears throat> of, of what Riley's personality is, what kind of dog she is. Is she, is she friendly? Is she a mean dog? How old is Riley? Where did we get Riley? You have no idea. The only thing you know about our dog is that we have a dog named Riley. And so when we talk about God is Father, the word Father isn't just a name that we can know about God and doesn't really have any meaning and significance behind it, but this name of God being Father is extremely significant. The very word Father implies relationship, particularly a familial relationship, implying a man in relationship with his children. By God identifying himself as Father, he's describing himself as one who is in relationship, one who is relatable. And this concept of God as Father is certainly not accepted by everyone who believes in God. You know, and as I was studying this, I I think that a lot of times I take this idea of God being our Father for granted. For instance, you will never hear a Muslim call God their personal Father. They would never refer to God as Father. And in the Surah, which is... um, One of their holy writings, part of the the Quran, it states this. Say not Trinity, deist. It will be better for you, for God is one God. Glory be to him. Far exalted is he above having a son. He, Allah, is one. Allah is he on whom all depend. He begets not, nor is he begotten, and none is like him. In other words, Allah is a single person God, and in no sense is he a father. They say he begets not. And uh, in no sense does he have a son. He is not begotten. They can't approach him as his father. He's not relational as their father. And he's this distant God that they're trying to, to, to um, worship in a way um, where they never know if they can have this relationship with him. But in contrast, the God of the Bible, the Bible very much identifies himself as father. And this is not just a New Testament concept. 
in Exodus, God calls Israel my firstborn son. And Deuteronomy says, the Lord carries his people as a father carries his son, and the Lord disciplines them as a man disciplines his son. The Psalms say that as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And in Isaiah, it says, you are our father. You, O Lord, are our father. A popular Old Testament name was Abijah, which means the Lord is my father. And in the New Testament, Jesus is constantly referring to God as being his father. And he tells his disciples in the Gospel of John that he will return to the Father, my God and your God. Peter and Paul both use the, the phrase a lot, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is Father is traced throughout all of Scripture, and at the heart of what it means for him to be God is this idea of him as Father. And if you were here last week, as Justin gave an overview on the Trinity, he read this quote, and I wanted to reread it today because I believe repetition is the mother of all learning, and this is a, a really uh, important quote that, that captures the heart of who God is. It says this, Since God is before all things a Father, and not primarily creator or ruler, all his ways are beautifully fatherly. It's not that God does being a father as a day job, only to kick back in the evenings as plain old God. It's not that he doesn't has a nice blob of fathery frosting on top. He is father all the way down. That all he does, he does as father. This is who he is. He creates as a father and he rules as a father. This is who God is, a heavenly father. And this idea of God being our Father is traced throughout all of Scripture, and it's unavoidable. And it's what it means for him to be God is him as Father. In the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says, There's one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And then he presses into this again in 1 Corinthians. He says, Yet for us, there's one God, the Father, from, who, from whom are all things, and who for, for from whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. So uh, for us, there's one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and for whom we exist. God is the source of our existence, and he's the reason that we exist. The God we, fall, we call Father is personal, he's active, he's relational, and he's intimately involved in our lives. He created us. He made us. He fashioned us. And he desires us to be in relationship with him. Jesus, as I said, called God Father. And there were so much, so many implications in him calling him Father. And by saying that, that God is Father, he's saying that God is a person and not just a power. As a person, God can be related to, we're able to get to know him, develop this intimacy with him. And this God that we call Father is personally involved and absolutely intimate in nature. And for Jesus to, to call God his Father and to refer to God as Father was something that would have been um, a, not foreign to the Jewish people, but it would have shocked them at how much Jesus talked about God as Father. For instance, in Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, he refers to God as Father ten times 
where in the Old Testament, God is called Father seven times. So in one little passage of Scripture, Jesus says, God the Father, God the Father, God the Father, ten times. And throughout the prayers of Jesus, he refers to God as Father over 70 times. Jesus has this unique relationship with his Father, and there's this intimacy that he shares with his Father. Jesus recognized God as Father over and over and over again, and he placed himself under the authority of his heavenly Father. And then Jesus encouraged us as his disciples and followers to embrace what it means to know God as Father. You know, Jesus really is amazing. I mean, if you just do a character study of, of Jesus and you study his teachings and his writings, one of the things that's unavoidable is the importance of the relationship that he has with his Father. And John 1 says that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, that Jesus was with God in the beginning. So throughout all of time, always, Jesus has been in communion with God the Father. And as last week, Justin kind of provided us with an overview of the Trinity, that there are three persons that make up one God. Three persons, equal in deity, that comprise one God. And although they are, they are equal, um, meaning they're all God, equally God, they have different roles and different functions. And Scripture tells us the way that they work together and provides us um, insight into how members of the Trinity work together. But there is this intimacy that they share. And I, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a dude, and so I, sometimes I use, like, words that are, like, not dude things to say. But, I mean, really... The word that I think of when, about this relationship that Jesus has with his father is it's precious. I mean, seriously, there is this beautiful relationship that they have where Jesus depends on his father, and he goes away, and they're like, hey, where's Jesus? Where did he go? Oh, he's off spending time with his father. And he, he knew what it meant to know his father. He delighted in his father. He loved his father. He depended upon him. And many times he says, you know, not my will, but the father's will. And I'm going to submit to the father, and I love the father and the Father loves me, and, and there's a special relationship that they have, which is so important for us to understand the relationship between the Father and the Son. And also we know that the Father desperately and, and deeply loves Jesus, his Son. After Jesus was baptized, he says, this is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And Jesus is loved by his Father, and there's this absolute unity that they share as part of the Trinity where the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit work and live together. And we've talked about this before. This isn't a foreign concept. A while ago, we went through the Apostles' Creed. Do y'all remember that? Where you maybe even had it, and I think it might still be in some of your Bibles, a little bookmark, and where we walked through um, kind of this doctrine and this theology of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and, and, um, and unpack that a little bit. But the first line in the Apostles' Creed, it says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And this simple affirmation carries with it so many important truths that is rich in theology. And so we're gonna unpack this. The word Father implies source, as Paul, as Paul says, that from him are all things. God is the reason we exist. The Father is the reason that we exist. He is our source. Just as our earthly fathers are a very important part of our genetic makeup, so too our heavenly Father is the source of our lives. 
as, as Paul writes, he's the reason we exist. We exist. We are created intentionally, designed and fashioned by God, and he is the source of our lives. Also implicit in this idea of God being Father is that he's active in our lives and he provides for us. Fathers find tremendous joy in providing for their children and taking care of them. And one of the chief roles of fatherhood is to provide. And Jesus taught this about the Heavenly Father and, and, and taught his followers to look to their Father in heaven to provide. And he says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give, give, give good gifts to those who ask him? God the Father is our provider. He's the source of all things, and he's the giver of all things, and he wants to take care of us as his children. You know, fathers also have a tremendous responsibility of teaching and training and instructing their children, and part of that is correcting them and disciplining them. I'll give you an example. Right now, if, if Sandra, our director of children's ministries, came over and, and told us that hey, one of your daughters is defiant today and she's not listening to a word that we're saying and she's, she uh, sassed off to the teacher and refused to, to comply and sit still and, and is really nasty and what do you want me to do? My response would be, you do nothing, I'm gonna take care of it. And I would be over there so fast to talk to my child. Not because I'm angry and not because I'm hot-headed, although I probably would be a little bit angry and maybe even hot-headed if my child was behaving like that. Um, but because I accept the responsibility that I have as a father to teach my child how to behave, to teach them how to live. And part of that is to, to train them and to correct them and to discipline them. And Scripture tells us that this is what God the Father does with us. In Hebrews, it says the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. That God, his Father, trains us and teaches us and disciplines us. And I would love to talk about the ways in which he does that in our lives. Um, we don't have, have time this morning, but that can be painful. And it's not always easy, but we know that he is our father who loves us and he knows what's best for us. And so he wants to teach us and train us to live uh, for his glory. And it's for our good as well. And so God, as our father, trains us and corrects us. And there's so much about the implications of God being Father. There's so many characteristics and attributes that literally we could be here all morning talking about it, and we could spend the next several weeks talking about what it means for God to be Father, about um, how he's kind to us as, uh, as his children, how he's generous to us, how, how he um, takes care of us and provides for us, and, and how he's gracious, and how he welcomes us. And there's so many things that we could talk about here, and you know how he's compassionate, you know, the, the Lord is, is gracious and slow to anger, abounding in love. He's, he's good to us. And there's so many things that we could, we could talk about as God being Father, but for the rest of our time together, as Justin talked about last week, we're going to zero in on something that is extremely important in the Bible, something that Jesus taught, something that's unavoidable in Scripture, and that is the love that God the Father has for his children. And as I was preparing to become a father about five years and nine months ago, um, I remember calling some friends, and I kind of had had my little, like, freak attack, and was like, okay, well, I want to talk to some men who've been there before me, and some men that are fathers that I respect, and, and to talk with them, and, and um, 
pick their brain and, and get their insight in helping me prepare to become a father. And one of my friends said this. He said, Mike, God gives us human relationships that allow us to understand him more and allow us to reflect his nature and character. These relationships allow us to understand God more fully and they give us insight into his heart. And I've found this to be so true in my experience as a father. That there are are ways in which I view my children and ways in which I love my children that I didn't even know that I was capable of. And there's this, this care that I have for my children. And as I look at my precious little daughters, there is this love in me. As I said, I didn't even know that I could give. And it's this deep love. It's this love that's unconditional. It doesn't matter what their um, behavior is. It doesn't matter what they do or where they go, that I have this unconditional deep love for my children because they're my children. And there's this sense of, of pride that I have in my children in a healthy way. And this sense of responsibility and this sense of love and almost ownership, knowing, I mean, I know that I'm a steward of my children and that ultimately they're, they're the Lord's, but there's this, this deep sense of, of love and pride that I have in my children. And I can't even explain it, and I'm sure that some of you here today can identify with that, that there's a love that we have, and ultimately it's a love that's an imperfect picture of how much God our Father loves us. In 1 John 3.16, it says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. God, who, as we talked about in Genesis, is the maker, the creator, the sustainer of all things. This God that, that is Elohim, he's Yahweh. He's so much bigger, so much stronger, so much more vast than we could ever even wrap our minds around, is our Father who loves us is his children. It really is a truth that I think some of us have heard thousands and thousands of times, but I, I pray that today, that even right now, that God would allow it to touch our hearts in a way that we can understand this even more, that God loves us as his children. You see, the truth is, as we said, you know, God is the creator of all things. He's the reason we exist. He's the source of our existence. And he created us. But we messed up. And we sinned and we rebelled against him. And here's this perfect, holy, loving God. But because we rebelled against him, we are, are sinful and separated from him. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the, and period, I get excited because the second part of that verse is really important, but the wages of sin is death, and literally, there is nothing that I can do on my own to reach this God. There's nothing that I can do myself. Nothing. Nothing. But God, because he loves us so much, rescued me and rescued you and offered this provision through his son, Jesus Christ, to do for me what I could not do for myself, to restore that relationship, to allow me as a sinful person to be washed by the blood of Jesus, as Bob just told us in communion. I mean, this is so significant here because of what Jesus did by paying the penalty of our sins so that we could be in this relationship in harmony with God and be his children Paul beautifully captures this in Ephesians chapter one. And I know we did a series on Ephesians a while ago, but this is so vital and so rich in theology. It says this, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, 
even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And this passage, as I said, literally is one of the most jam-packed passages and it's so rich in theology. And Justin preached through this in our series in Ephesians and I would highly recommend you to go back and to, to, um, to listen to that and to, to really begin to understand and to press into this passage even more. But there's some concepts here that are so important because it says that we now, because of what God has done for us through Jesus, have this legal standing as children of God through adoption. It was through Christ we're adopted and welcomed into the family of God. And we are his children because of what Christ has done for us. And we have a perfect, loving, heavenly Father who adopted us into his family through Jesus Christ. God is our perfect, loving, heavenly Father who adopted us as his children through his Son, Jesus Christ. You know, I, I wonder how many of us really understand the fact that we have been adopted. And as I was thinking about what it means for me to be adopted, I remembered a significant story in my life that helped me understand this idea that I am adopted. Um, actually, I had just graduated college, and my buddy lived in Sierra Vista, Arizona. And so we were in Chicago, and um, from Chicago to Sierra Vista was over a 30-hour drive, and we were driving his 1980 big red pickup truck that um, was a farm truck, and it had no air conditioning. We called it Big Red, and man, just a little bench that we were um, sitting on next to each other and with, with no air, and obviously in the summer, driving through all of these states and going to Arizona, it got pretty hot in this, in this truck, and so we rolled the windows down, and I wasn't even, honestly, truth be told, I didn't even really look at the speedometer when I was driving because I do not think there's any way that thing got over 75 miles an hour. And, and as we were driving, we would alternate, you know, who, who would drive on the trip. And we had to go through a little bit of the state of Texas. And I was like, yeah, I haven't been in Texas very much. I'm going to, I'll drive in, in Texas. And, and so I, I took the Texas leg. And sure enough, as I'm driving, I, I look in my rearview mirror and I get pulled over. Like, you've got to be kidding me. There's no way that I'm speeding. Like, what in the world is going on? And so the, the officer comes to the, to the truck, and he says, uh, you, know, you know why I pulled you over? And I said, uh, no, sir. And he said, well, you were speeding. I said, well, how fast was I going? And he's like, huh, 80. I'm thinking, wait, 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 80? Eh, no, man. I mean, you tell me 80, 81, 80. Tell me what you clocked me at, man. Don't just go, eh, you know, 80. Not, no. And, and so uh, it turns out he was suspicious because of the truck that we were driving that he thought that we were, you know, some drug smugglers or traffickers or whatever. And so um, he starts talking to me, and, and I'm wearing this bright orange shirt that says orphan across it. And 
The reason I was wearing this shirt, Orphan, is because at our school, um, where I went to, Trinity in, in the Chicago area, we um, had this uh, AIDS awareness day where we talked about children in Africa, how 10% of children in Africa are orphans because of AIDS. And so 10% of the student body wore these shirts just as a way of raising awareness. But by 2020, it's projected that uh, 20% of children in Africa were going to be orphans because of AIDS. So the next day, we had 20% of the student body wear these shirts. So the officer looked at me and looked at my shirt, and he said, son, are you an orphan? I said, no, sir, I'm, I'm not an orphan. He said, well, are you adopted? I said, no, sir, I'm, I'm not adopted. He looked at me again. He said, are you, you sure you're not adopted? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'm not adopted, man. I, you know, I look pretty much just like my mom and dad. Like people say, I look just like my dad, and, and um, I'm sure I'm not adopted. It's like, hmm, okay, all right. So he goes back to his truck and then, you know, runs the plates and comes back and doesn't give us a warning or anything. And he says, you know, son, I, I've got one more question for you. I'm going to ask you one more time, are you adopted? And I looked at my buddy who was sitting in the truck next to me, and I'm like, what is this guy's deal? Like, this is really weird. And, and I said, you know what, sir, you're right. I'm sorry, I am adopted. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and, and I'm an adopted child of God. So yes, I am adopted. And he said, son, that's what I was referring to. You have yourself a safe rest of the trip. And I like look at my buddy, and I'm like, this is seriously the weirdest conversation that I've ever had. Because if somebody asked me if I'm adopted, I'm like, no, I'm not adopted. But it is true that we are adopted and we are welcomed into the family of God. And a few months ago, as Craig was preaching on this idea of adoption, he called me up to share my story of adopting our little girl, Shannon. And I won't go into it all right now, but I just want to tell you one little aspect of it. I, it, was, it was a hard process, and every adoption is hard, and it's difficult, and it's messy, and and every story is different. And there are people that have gone through quite a bit more than even Ariel and I did. But there were aspects, and you guys were awesome praying for us in this journey and following us and encouraging us and sending us notes while we were in Uganda. Um, but it was hard, and we were waiting on documents. And I was there, ended up being there for um, over seven weeks, waiting on these papers and um, trying to take care of Shannon. And truth be told, she was not a huge fan of me. Um, at first, I know I'm sure it's hard for you guys to imagine, but it was, it was hard for her, and we didn't have that bond right away. And so I'm like working on all of these, this paperwork and going through the court system and, and going to the embassy and trying to figure this out, and we were still waiting on a document. And, and it was actually exactly one year ago today because it was Karis's birthday. And I just missed Thanksgiving with my family. And I was in Uganda and missed Karis's birthday, which was hard for me. I really wanted to be there to celebrate with her. And, and um, Shannon uh, would cry herself to sleep at night. And I would hold her and then place her in the crib, which was next to my bed. And so this particular night, she had had a really hard day and a hard time. And, you know, the poor kid was just trying to figure out, like, what is going on? What's happening? And so... Um, I'm like waiting on this paperwork. I'm thinking that there's no way I'm even going to be home for Christmas and what's, what's going on. And so I finally got Shannon to go to bed and I laid down and put my head in the pillow. And I remember saying out loud, this is crazy. This is crazy. And I looked at Shannon while she was sleeping and I thought, she is never going to know what we went through to adopt her. And that's okay. I mean, that's totally okay. She can't know. She's not going to know and understand. But she's never going to know how costly this is. And immediately, 
immediately. I felt something wash over me, which I believe is the Spirit of God. And I immediately remembered the song, From Here I Am to Worship. Where, um, and there's a line in it that says, I'll never know how much it cost. Do you know the, the, the end of it? To see my sin upon that cross. And I just started bawling. And I just started sobbing. And I said, Father, I, I, I'm sorry. I confess. I don't know what you went through. I'm never going to be able to know the depths that you went through to welcome me as your child. I can never fully understand the, the depths of your love for me. And as we talked about, the reason it's so important to know the relationship that the father and the son had is because it was not easy for the father to send his son. God loved Jesus so much and had this relationship throughout all of time and then sent him to be the perfect sacrifice on our behalf to do for me what I can't do for myself. And it was so costly in him sending his son to welcome me as his son. And Jesus invites us to share in this relationship that he has with the Father and that we are considered now co-heirs with Christ because of what Jesus has done for us. And so in the last few minutes that we have together, I want to talk about, just focus briefly on why does this matter? So what? Like, yeah, okay, we're talking about the Trinity, God is Father, that's cool, yeah, I get it. Like, it's pretty evident in Scripture, God's our Father. But what does that mean for you today? What does that mean for me? How are we going to live in light of the fact that God is our Father? And what are the implications of this? The first thing is that we must know our identity as God's child. We must know our identity as God's child, that we are adopted into his family. I mean, I, after that encounter with the police officer, I just was like, man, you know, how often do I forget who I am, that I'm a child of God adopted into his family? And as we began this morning, we talked about this important relationship that we're created to have with our fathers, with our earthly fathers. We, we are designed to have relationship with our earthly fathers. And when that relationship is missing, there are serious implications. And just as that, we are designed and created to have relationship and fellowship with our heavenly Father that we're loved by the God of the universe who made us to be in relationship with him, made us and created us to worship him. And he loves us, and he sent his son Jesus to allow this relationship to be possible. And we are adopted as his children. This is our identity. This is who we are. And this is so important for us. It's important in the way that we pray. Jesus, is, is when he was teaching his disciples how to pray, what's the first thing he said? How do we address God? Our Father. He taught his disciples that God, our Father, is this God that we relate to, that we are his children. This is our identity. This is who we are. And if we're ever going to gain ground in prayer and understand it and enjoy it, it's going to be because we understand and experience this relationship that we have with God as Father. This relationship is a reality, and it's a privilege that we have, and we need to pursue it, embrace it, and allow it to shape our identity. You know, this morning, there are probably millions of people that are going to churches in our country. And I just wonder, you know, if I were to ask them, hey, do you believe God is your father? Most of them would say, yeah, I believe God is father, right? But how many of us accept this as absolute truth in our life? 
that we have this perfect, loving, heavenly Father who's active in our life, who wants us to go to him, who wants us to fellowship with him, who wants us to delight in him. How many of us really understand that? And I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Charles Stanley, but he said this quote that struck me to the core. He said, our heavenly Father understands us, our disappointment, our suffering, our pain, our fear, and our doubt. He's always there to encourage our hearts and to help us and understand that he is sufficient for all of our needs. When I accepted this as an absolute truth in my life, I found that my worrying stopped. How many of us have accepted this as absolute truth in our life, that our God is our Father? He's our source, but he's also our provider who's there for us. To de- we can depend on him. We can, be trust- we can trust him because he is trustworthy. Allow your perfect and heavenly Father to be what shapes your identity, that you are his child. Perhaps one of the, the most intimate verses that I've seen about, or that I've that has jumped out at me uh, in Scripture in Romans chapter 8. And this is what Paul says. He says, The spirit you received does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again, rather. The spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. This term Abba is a, an Aramaic term for father that conveys a sense of intimacy. It's like daddy or papa. It conveys uh, tenderness and affection, and there's a dependence, and there's a relationship there. And, and, and in my study Bible, it says uh, that, that this idea of Abba is, frees one from fear or anxiety. We can know and have this sense of security and stability and intimacy that shapes who we are as God's children. So know our identity as God's children. Also, obey him. Follow him. God is our perfect, loving, heavenly Father who trains us, who, who corrects us, who, who teaches us, has provided his word. He shows us how to live. Not because he's some mean dictator that wants to boss us around, but because he knows what's best for us. And he provides this book so that we can live lives for his glory and also for our good. And to prosper us and not to harm us and to give us hope and a, a future that God the Father loves us and we should obey him and follow him and follow his word because he desires to protect us and preserve us for relationship with him. And lastly, I want to encourage you, delight in him. Delight in him. So, so you know your identity is his children. You obey him, but you delight in him. A few days ago, I was sitting on the couch and we were watching a little cartoon called The Hive about Busby the Bumblebee, right? And so I'm watching this with my girls and, and Ariel was sleeping because she had worked the night before. And, and so I'm, I'm sitting there just, just kind of checking out Busby. And uh, Karis, our, our oldest, climbed up on the couch and she put her, her head on my chest and she looked up at me and she smiled and she gave me a big hug. And I looked at her and I said, honey, do you, do you need something? Like, do you, do you want something? And she said, no, dad. I don't want something. I just wanted to give you a hug because you're my daddy and I love you. And I love you, dad, and I want to be with you. I thought, okay, that's pretty awesome. You know, but but honestly, truth be told, I love it when my kids come and they ask me for things. I love providing them. I
one thing about you. What a weird family member that says, I hate you. I love you. I delight in you. I want to be with you because you're my daddy. And I thought, how many times do we just run to the warmth of the embrace of our father and say, Father, God, we love you. You're my daddy. Abba, Papa, Father, I love you. And I want to be in relationship with you. And I want to just delight in you and enjoy you for who you are. Because you love me. And I know that, Daddy, and I love you too. I encourage you, spend some time recognizing who God is as your perfect, loving, heavenly Father. And allow that truth to shape who you are. You know, I invite the band to come up this morning as we close. And they're going to play a song. It's called Good, Good Father. And there's a line in it that says, or what's the chorus? It says, you're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. Because you're a good, good father. And, And how many of us know that? That God is our good, good, loving, perfect father. And I'm loved by him. And this is who I am. You know, as we are in our season of Advent and we're preparing for the arrival of Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas, we're going to be talking about Jesus a lot, as we should, 100%. I mean, Christmas, he's the reason for the season. But may we never forget the reason that Jesus came. And the reason that Jesus came is because God the Father loves us. And so I'm going to do something a little unique. I don't have it on the screens today. Um, But I invite you to stand with me. And we're going to close this part of our worship together by just reciting John 3.16. So could you stand with me? And if you know it, feel free to say it with me. If you don't know it, you know, just listen to the words. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for that truth that even my little girls memorized, John 3, 16, that we can memorize and we can know, but Lord, we will never be able to fully understand the love that you have for us as our Father. And Lord, I pray that we would feel the warmth of your embrace, that we would run to you, that we would delight in you, that we would fellowship with you and experience this intimacy with you, which is what we are created for. And Lord, as we sing this song today, that you are a good, good father, I pray we would know that. And as Charles Stanley so beautifully said, that we would accept it as absolute truth in our lives for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.